Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Crossover Across Time podcast for our All-Star special episode. This is Wednesday, February 21st uh, of the 2024 calendar year, of course, also the 2023-2024 NBA season. Uh, I'm your host, Karsten. Welcome to the show. Welcome back. It's been um, not super long. It's been a little while. Um, Our last time uh, we had an episode was last Friday. Um, Of course, we've been on an extended break because this last weekend was All-Star Weekend, but we also haven't had any games. That is true of today as well. Uh, The first games uh, post-All-Star break will be tomorrow, in fact. Um, Of course, we're packing the schedule at the end of the week a little bit here for you. We have the um, All-Star special today, of course. Tomorrow, we'll be releasing a special bonus franchise focus episode, that one talking about the New York Knicks. Um, And then we'll have our normal Friday episode, which will get us back on the regular schedule. Um, We're past the All-Star break, past the trade deadline. Now we're really zeroing in on award races and the playoff chase as well, as far as positioning, who's going to get what seeds, all that kind of stuff. So we're going to have plenty to talk about there uh, as always. But of course, we're talking All-Star weekend um, specifically this time around. And I want to start with the All-Star game itself, because, of course, that is kind of the biggest topic of conversation. Um, I wouldn't say it was the most successful event uh this particular all-star weekend but i don't think it was completely you know a complete failure completely awful either um and that might sound a little bit foreboding for those who who didn't quite catch the game or hear about the game um to boil it down we had a lot of the same conversations we've gotten in recent years whenever the all-star weekend comes around uh and the all-star game in particular about competitiveness at the game um defensive intensity the the appearance of uh, the appearance of effort and intensity from players um basically uh scoring records were set um it was a goal made by a team uh in, in terms of we want to score this many points i guess the east all-stars wanted to see if they could score 200 points in a game and and break the all-star scoring record previously set by I believe the Western Conference back in 2016, um, and they did do that. They won the. Here's let's go box score itself. Let's start that way, and then we'll go through all the other topics and and discussion around the game. Game itself, box score, final score, two eleven to one eighty six for the Eastern Conference. Two hundred and eleven points. Remarkable stuff. Shades of uh, Troy State versus Devry. Uh, for those who are fans of John Boyce and his work that he does uh, with Secret Base. Um, if you haven't seen that story, uh, the highest scoring college basketball game of all time, I recommend watching his video. He does a fantastic job. Um, shades of that, of course, longer time frame to work with. And um, when you're in an all-star game and no one really cares about defense, as it seems to be the case, uh, this time around, it's a little bit easier to do that. Um, as far as box scores, I'll start with the West. Uh, the losing team, despite having perhaps a little more star-studded roster. Uh, the starters were led by Shakespeare Alexander. He had 31 in the game uh, with six assists, four boards. Uh, Durant, 18 points, five boards, five assists, two steals. Um Jokic, 13 points, 9 assists. LeBron, 8 points. Uh, Luka, 7 points. Luka had a a, a triple 7 here. 7 points, 7 boards, 7 assists. Uh, so that's a little bit fun. Um, off the bench, Steph Curry, 16 points, 8 assists. Uh, Devin Booker, 15 points, 7 assists, 2 steals. Uh, 13 points from Paul George. Uh, Anthony Davis with 6 points, 8 boards, 8 assists. Uh and then not to mention Carl Anthony Towns uh, just happened to drop 50. Um, and it's weird. I put that as a footnote, but he especially had like a, a ridiculously high scoring fourth quarter, um, which vaulted him into the leading scoring position in the, on the West team. Uh, he also had eight boards, um, 35 shot attempts. I mean, he still shot very efficiently. Um, and the West all-star shot about 56% as a team. 35% from three. Um, Curry went four of 13. Carl Anthony Towns went four of 13. Um, 
that did a lot to drag him down. Cause I mean, otherwise, I mean, Luca was one to six, uh, not great either, but SGA was seven of 10 Durant was four of eight. Um, so I don't know, but again, chucking threes has been a staple of the last few all-star games. As far as the Eastern conference, um, a little more well-spread. Uh, Lillard led them in scoring 39 points for him with six assists, 11 of 23 from three point range. Um, I didn't realize until just now that he had attempted quite that many threes. Uh, my goodness, but he still shot about 48% on 23 three point attempts, uh, which is still pretty good. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, so that's, that's, uh, that's something, uh, Tyrese Halberton, 32 points, seven boards, six assists, uh, 10 of 14 from three point range, man, he was shooting lights out. Definitely showed out as the hometown, uh, player. And you could definitely make an argument. He should have been the all-star game MVP. Um, he was right there in that mix, but, uh, we'll get to the MVP in just a moment. Jalen Brown, 36 points, eight boards, three assists off the bench, uh, 65% from the floor for him, six of 12 from three, uh, 23 points for Giannis Antetokounmpo with seven boards, Jason Tatum, 20 points, three boards, three assists, a steal, a block, four of nine from three, and then off the bench, uh, Scotty Barnes, 16 points, eight boards, 12 points for Jalen Brunson with five assists, uh, Tyrese Maxey, 10 points, three boards, three assists. Palomon Caro, six points, nine boards, five assists. Donovan Mitchell, nine points, seven boards, two assists. Um, then Trey Young, five points, seven assists. So, um, yeah, a little more well-balanced scoring, I guess, in the starting lineup in terms of spread of scoring. Um, East definitely shot better from three. Um, they shot 97 three-pointers as a team compared to the West 71. Um and the teams had similar number of shot attempts. The East was just even more saturated. Uh, they shot 146 times from the floor as a team, and 97 of those were from three-point range. What percentage is that? That's got to be at least 60% of their attempts were from three. Um, 140, I'm doing the math right here. We're going to see this because I'm curious. Uh, it is the other way around. I always get mixed up when it comes to on a calculator figuring out a percentage. Yeah, basically two-thirds of their shot attempts were from three-point range. Um, wild stuff. Uh, before, again, we get too much more into the, to the, the topic of conversation with the All-Star Game, um, shout-out to Damian Lillard. He got the All-Star Game MVP. Again, it was fairly close between him and Halliburton. Um in terms of the voting, it was close to an even split, but Lillard came out just a little bit ahead. Um, so that was um, worth noting. The fan vote, uh, fans, the fan vote accounted for three of the uh, twelve total votes, and two of the three fan votes went to Damian Lillard. Um, so he got, you know, maybe a, an edge there. If one of those went to Halliburton, it would have been. Uh, closer, but it still would have been Lillard, I believe. So hats off to Lillard. Um, he had a great all-star weekend, and we'll get more into that in just a little bit. But, um, you know, credit to Halberton for still showing out in the uh, the home city, the host city, um, as an Indiana Pacer in Indianapolis, um, giving them a show, uh, showing the fans proud, I suppose. Um but again, the game itself, um, it's interesting because Adam Silver, um, of course, the NBA has been no stranger to trying to add changes to the All-Star game to make it more exciting. Um, in particular, the last five or six seasons. Um, of course, in the 2018 season, the change was made to make uh, to to bring in the captain system, the leading vote getter in each conference would be the All Star uh, captain for that conference. Uh, what what would be the two All Star captains, and then they would draft players regardless of conference, um, and then play the games in that manner. And I think it would it added some intrigue the first year or two. Um, the novelty of that wore off over time. Um. Last year, of course, they attempted the live draft format to continue 
the novelty further where those captains had to pick those players like an hour before the game started. And then they had to shift around locker rooms um, logistically, probably not the wisest. And um, so that just kind of fell flat. So then they decide, well, we'll just go back to the West versus East, which is I think a good move. Of course, I'm going to prefer that as the uh, resident old fashioned fan, I suppose. Um, But I like the tradition of it. I think that fans respond well to that too, especially if you're going back to Indianapolis, you know, uh, a traditional basketball type of, uh, you know, market. I think they appreciated West versus East straightforward. Um, there still can be good competitiveness there, but apparently again, not this year. Um, just, I don't know. It, it's a weird conversation because it is an all-star game. You know, the results really don't mean much. Um, all-star MVP uh, rarely gets talked about anymore. And we could get into a whole, uh, you know, soapbox about the way that both basketball fans as well as basketball media uh, has focused discussions about a player's career and their legacy, boiling those down to, well, championships they won um, and maybe MVPs, you know, and reducing it down to, you know, who, who won the most, who, who won in, you know, pressure situations, those times, those pressure situations, sometimes a little more um, subjective than you might think. And I I just think that we've lost a lot of the um, art of appreciating players for who they are and, and each of them bringing something unique and great to, to the game, to their teams, to, you know, the fandom of enjoying the NBA. You know, you look at a guy like um, Jamal Crawford, just off the top of my head. Obviously, he was borderline, not even in his best seasons, he wouldn't have been a, a, a completely serious selection as an all-star player, right? But Jamal Crawford's impact has been so phenomenal in terms of his ball handling ability, his highlight reels of, you know, fakes on players um, as a shot maker coming off of the bench. You know, Jamal Crawford is always going to be a recognized and celebrated player because of that impact. And there's players like him that have, have managed to, you know, last through the reduction of discussion of players. But I think we need to get back to just appreciating players for what they're able to do. You know, all of the all-star game MVPs and and those performances, what they're able to do. Um, Most improved six man um, looking back at forgotten all-stars. I don't know. And again, this, this boils down to the general theme of, of our show. Of course, we're talking modern NBA, but we, we do our best to focus on the past as well. And, um, I don't know. I think that there's as as much as fans can complain about modern game being certain ways. Um, those are oftentimes I think those are a lot of the same fans that you know know a handful of players from pre two thousand and are quick to disregard or dismiss players um, that they don't know a lot about. And especially if that player comes from before the Magic Johnson, Larry Bird era, before the 80s, you know, there's the fans are a lot quicker to dismiss them um, due to players they played against or whatever it is. And again, I've kind of gone on the soapbox that I didn't mean to go on. Um, but ultimately, what I was trying to say is, you know, the All Star MVP, again, amongst a game that the debate is more and more intense about its value. Um, also MVP can still mean a lot of things in terms of, you know, this player, you know, put on a great show and they were able to, among some of the best, you know, the best in the NBA at that particular time and era, they, you know, shone, they, they shine, they had a particular shine in that moment, um, that, uh, 
uh, stood out enough to get an all-star MVP. You know, I think that has value. And for Lillard to get his first all-star MVP, I think that's a phenomenal moment. It was his first time starting as well. Um, so that is also a positive. Um, and then again, the all-star game itself, of course, is um, a lot of fans have debates. A lot of people are calling for it to just be eliminated altogether. Um, that is the NFL route. Uh, of course, they over the last couple of seasons have uh, done away with the Pro Bowl uh, game aspect. Players are still named to the Pro Bowl uh, ceremoniously, but they don't play a Pro Bowl game. Um, and the NFL has much stronger arguments for injury prevention. Um, and I get that. It's it's still an argument with the NBA. Well, players don't want to play hard because um, they don't want to get injured and and reduce their ability to impact, especially if they're on winning teams. You know, they don't want to hurt their playoff chances. Totally get that. And um, you know, I there's an interesting post that I saw about players. You know. There, there's a little bit of money on the line when it comes to the all-star game. Um, not nearly enough to be super uh, press-worthy. Um, but either that it was a thing in the past and doesn't, hasn't been done anymore or is a thing, but of course player contracts now have just become so large that it pales much more in comparison. Um, that's certainly an interesting factor, but I don't know. I, I just think again to the idea that um, in the 80s, 90s, 2000s, even as early as the uh, or recently as the early 2010s, um, the game was more competitive. We're not asking for it to be, um, you know, game seven of the NBA finals. I think that would be ridiculous. And I don't know if the game has really ever been that intense. Um, the closest it's probably gotten to that intensity was the, I think it was the 2001 all-star game, uh, Allen Iverson. And it was in yeah Philadelphia. So um, now that's the closest it's ever been, or at least one of the closest moments, in the all-star game. It's never been, you know, 110% giving everything you got. What it feels like right now is the players are at about a 15 to 25% effort somewhere in there. If we can get them up to 60 or 70, you know, get them trying noticeably and they, they play some defense and it has semblances of a game, even though there's still highlights, you know, that I think would do a, a would go a big ways towards fans approval. Um, and again, there's a number of other suggestions that have been thrown out there, um, whether it comes to format changes, bringing back the Elam ending, another recent uh, attempt to bring excitement to the all-star format. Um, Team World versus Team USA has gotten a lot of hype. Again, I think that would um, more and more it would be interesting for the first few years, but then it would lose its luster and you'd be back to the same issue. Um, very interesting. I'm not against having a debate about that or a conversation. Um, again, me as a traditionalist, I'm going to enjoy or lean towards, you know, East West, keep it, keep it simple. Um, but again, a number of legislative ideas to try and fix the issue. In my mind, what it really boils down to is if you want this to change, if you want the all-star game to be more entertaining, it has to be the players that want to do it. Um, and that's simple and straightforward, but it's just kind of the truth. You know, now more than ever, the NBA is a player-friendly league. Um, if the players don't want to do things a certain way, they don't have to, or they uh, can, with the the help of the the players' association, they can they can get things worked around for the most part. You know, there's still, you know, owners and structure above them that regulates a lot of things, but m now more than ever, it's been player centric, 
And I think there's a lot of greatness in that in terms of, you know, the players are the, the product on the floor and they're getting um, the, their share of the money that the NBA earns. Um, you know, you can't really complain about the players <clears throat> being, um, you know, given their just due, I guess. But what I'm trying to say is, you know, players are aware of the fact that fans don't enjoy their competitiveness in recent years, but the players also don't. It's not they don't care about the fans, but they're, you know, they're like, we're still, we're putting on a show, we're giving you something to enjoy, but at the same time, we're focused on our own um, health at this point in the year. Um, we don't want to go too hard and risk an injury, and we also don't want to, you know, we want to kind of go where everyone else is going and players have trended towards le le less effort. If you have suddenly one random player wanting to give it a hundred percent, I feel like the other players would not respond well to it because it's like, well, now you're trying to show us up and make us look bad um, when it's just the all-star game. I don't know. And that's a little more speculation, but just the ultimate point is if players want the game to get more competitive and be and be more exciting in that sense it's got to be them that that instigates it or if, if anyone wants it it has to be the players um because you can you can legislate around that but that doesn't change the players intrinsic care or interest in a competitive game um again it was the early 2010s, the game was still pretty competitive and a, a more watchable product, but it's also been a conversation. I feel like it probably happens every year. Um, it has gotten worse over time, but it's not entirely new to the all-star game for uh, players to, to coast at times and to just, you know, look for highlights. Um, it happens, you know, and again, I don't think it's in the worst sense of, they're trying to give fans a show. They want to, you know, hit the deep threes and they want to get dunks and they want to get lobs because those are highlights and that's what fans respond to most. You know, you make a, a layup off a nice cut. It's, oh, you made a basket, but it's not highlight reel. And that's what fans kind of look for with the modern all-star game. So again, I think that's a little bit of the, uh, issue too if we can you know direct the blame on us ourselves as fans you know what are we telling the players that we want to see we want to see deep threes we want to see dunks uh, we want to see those levels of plays we don't necessarily want to see um good basketball when it comes to you know highlights highlights aren't you know a nice little pass for an easy layup for for an open you know mid-range shot um running a good screen and roll that's not the highlights. So then the players keep that in mind. And it's like, Oh, here's the all-star game. We'll give you your highlights. So a couple of factors, again, up to the players when it comes to increasing that intensity level, but then let's also look at fans as fans and be like, well, what could we, do? what could we do to create a more, you know, legitimately basketball centric approach to, to highlights and what makes a game, exciting in you know i don't know i'm i'm very much in the rambling mode here i was i had kind of a general point to this and i think we covered a lot of those points um needless to say a lot of those things are going to be in the conversation in terms of legislation uh over the next year or two i can guarantee that because adam silver the final takeaway from the All-Star game itself, um, we'll also get into the records, but Adam Silver did not seem very happy post-All-Star game. I can only imagine him in the, uh, you know, the, the press box or wherever they have him um, just like swearing out loud. I don't know if he's really much of a cursor, but anyways, um, 
yeah, records that were broken. Total points, 397. Uh, smashed the record of 374, which was set in 2017. I remember that 2017. That was the year that both Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis scored like 50-plus points. Uh, AD was MVP, I believe. It was in New Orleans. Um, East set 42 three-pointers, which broke Team LeBron's 35 mark in 2019. Uh, sides combined for 193 points in the first half. Uh, to break the any half record of 191 set last year and the East tied an any half record by scoring 104 points by intermission. Um, so yeah, a lot of records. Um, the, those 97 three pointers attempted by the East, the previous record was 90 by team LeBron in 2019. Um, teams combined for 66 threes made and 168 threes attempted man, just reading it out loud. Uh, previous records were 62 and 167, both in 2019. Um, here's a quote for you from Tyrese Halliburton. Obviously, it wasn't high intensity at all. Um, end quote. So, phenomenal stuff. That's the All-Star game itself. And again, a longer rant than I meant to go on. Thank you for sticking around for that. Let's get to the rest of the the weekend. Because again, I think the weekend itself was, was great. We started with... Um, as usual, the announcement of the finalists for the latest class of, of the uh, Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame, Basketball Hall of Fame, your class of 2024 finalists, uh, North American finalists, Chauncey Billups, Vince Carter, Michael Cooper, Walter Davis, Bo Ryan, and Charles Smith, uh, your women's committee finalists, Simone Augustus and Marion Washington, contributor finalists, Doug Collins, Herb Simon, and Cherry West, Men's veterans finalists, uh, Dick Barnett, uh, women's veterans finalists, Harley Redden, and international finalists, Michelle, uh, Michelle Timms, uh, Michelle, hopefully I pronounced that right. Um, and I, I do believe I did this on Friday as well, but I, I'll go back over it again because, yeah, uh, Billups and Carter are the headliners, of course, as far as uh, biggest stars from the NBA, but Michael Cooper, a great player, um, a, a sixth man defensive type impact player on those Showtime Lakers teams. And then Walter Davis, I talked about him recently um, as far as underrated impact with the Phoenix Suns. Um, of course, he still leads uh, their all-time scoring. Devin Booker's fastly approaching, but Walter Davis, great underrated player. Uh, a Tar Heel, I believe as well. Um, Bo Ryan, of course, the uh, Wisconsin head coach. Uh, and then Charles Smith, I got to remind myself um, which Charles Smith. I know it's not the forward uh, from the 90s. Um, Peabody. Um, let's see. Oh, I got to pull this up. Apologies to Charles Smith for not being as familiar with uh, his impact. I'm imagining um, college hoops somewhere um peabody boys basketball coach charles smith uh finalist in the naismith basketball hall of fame um yeah it's hard to say looking at it i would almost say peabody is a it could be either a junior college program or a, a high school program um yeah hard to say see and it, this makes for great listening i know and i apologize but i gotta figure out uh charles smith peabody basketball coach through the years peabody magnet high school basketball coach charles smith state's leader and wins 1074 and has eight uh high school titles as a head coach Looks like Louisiana High School Athletics Association. Um, yeah, that is a longtime coach. And hats off to him at the high school ranks, making that kind of an impact. Um, potential Hall of Famer is pretty phenomenal. Yeah, Louisiana High School. Um, congrats to him. So um, Cool to, to learn more about him. Of course, they also had the, the Kurt Gotti Award recipients and the John Bunn Lifetime Achievement Award. We mentioned those uh, previously as well. Uh, contributors, 
a lot of great ones. Doug Collins as a coach, as well as a broadcaster. Jerry West is an executive. Herb Simon is an owner. Herb Simon has owned the Pacers for like 40 something years now, which is crazy to think about. I always see his name with the Pacers, um, but never really think about how long he's owned the team. Um, Yeah, 1983, six years after the team joined the NBA from the ABA, they were purchased by Herb Simon along with uh, his brother Mel, uh, who has since passed away. Um, And he continues to own them to this day. uh, Phenomenal. And it's unfortunate they haven't quite been able to win that championship yet. They've come pretty close, um, especially, of course, in the Reggie Miller years. Um, but still great impact there. Dick Barnett, great to see him there as well. Uh, a, a great all-star from the sixties, uh, especially. So that was a class it, that started us off very well as it always seems to do. And then we got into the events, of course, the celebrity game. Um, I didn't have a chance to watch a celebrity game. Big takeaway. Uh, Micah Parsons, who did play uh, basketball in his high school years, um, still can play. Uh, of course, he's a pro athlete, so you're always going to have a decent amount of carryover with that. Um, but his size, especially, and athleticism, I mean, he just went off. He had a ton of points. He had like 18 rebounds or something like that. Um, and again, especially in a game where probably half of the players on the floor um I've only ever played basketball basketball a handful of times in their life. Um, not always that hard to, if you're really wanting to go out and get an MVP like that, uh, seemed like he did. And so that was, that was a fun way to start. And then the rising stars, that was probably, it, it's interesting because rising stars games, you don't really ever have to worry about the effort. Um, those games were pretty dang good in terms of the effort level. Um, better than any all-star game over the last few years, um, I would say. And so that was where it started. And the format has worked fairly well too. in in terms of the, uh, uh, the four teams, uh, three of them being rookies and sophomores from the NBA and the other being uh, G league players, or at least two way contract guys. Um, The first game was team Jalen versus team Tamika. Uh, those are both the the NBA. Those are both NBA uh, centric teams. Uh, team Tamika was led by uh, Scoot Henderson. He had ten points. Jaden Ivey had eight, five from both Keegan Murray, Paolo Bencaro, two from Jalen Duren, uh, as well as Keontae George, Vince Williams Jr. with three. Um, of course, the target score in in play here. The target score was forty. Team Tamika had thirty five, but uh, Team Jalen met it with forty, and they had eighteen from Benedict Matherin. Huge scoring game for him. They had seven from Jordan Hawkins, six from Derek Lively, um, five from Chet Holmgren. So Team Holmgren, led by Benedict Matherin in a big game, had kind of a an embarrassing moment when he gets to the free throw line with a chance to, uh, you know, win the game there with a, making both free throws. Guaranteed Jaden Ivey, I think, that he would make them, and he missed both but then he made up for it the next possession, the very next possession they had turnaround mid-range shot to win it. So that was pretty cool. Then we had the best game of the three, I would say Um, team Detlef, which was your G league guys versus team pow. uh, The team that won it last year, pow drafted that team. And then this year you happen to have Victor Wembanyama on the squad along with Brandon Miller. Um, Jabari Smith, Jaime Jaquez, Pajemski seemed like a stacked team against your, your G League squad, but um, G Leaguers played a little bit more cohesively as a team. Uh, team Pau wasn't fully engaged, and Wemby in particular, his stats look very nice. 11.7 boards, two blocks, a steal, an assist, did everything. And he wasn't a bad player, but there was a couple of moments where he kind of wanted to highlight play. Um, and you know, the, the G leaguers were right on top of it. Um, he had five turnovers and the, the G league guys are able to capitalize on that. So, um, outside of Wemby, no one had amazing stats for team pal. I mean, case of Wallace had eight points, but, um, team Detlef 12 points for Mac McClung, 
uh, five boards, three assists. They got 11 points, two steals from Alondis Williams. He came up big for them. Uh, seven points for Matthias Buzelis, uh, or Mutas Buzelis, excuse me. Uh, eight boards for Oscar Sashibwe, uh, or yeah, Sashibwe is how I'm going to pronounce it because that flows off the tongue a little bit better. Uh, Imani Bates had a three. He had five points in total. I liked the way they played together a lot. It, it felt very co- cohesive. It almost felt like a G League team in full, um, but it, those guys all play for different G League squads. Um, Bates is with Cleveland. Oscar is with Indiana. Uh, Alondis Williams, uh, I believe, is with Miami at the moment. Um, so Team Detlef pulled off the stunner. They win 41-36. to 36. They had a huge lead at one point. Uh, Team Powell brought it back, but then it was a turnaround mid-range shot, similar to what Bennett Matherin did. But uh, Matas Buzelis won it uh, of the G League Ignite. And then we go to the final, Team Detlef versus Team Jalen. And I kind of thought it would be fun to see Team Detlef win. Uh, it'd be a bit of a message uh, to the the other guys to even step up their game more. Um, but Team Jalen did win uh, 26 to 13. They took note of what Team Detlef did, and they were not, you know, surprised. But for this final game, they came out ready to to take on that challenge. Uh, in that game, Team Detlef uh, was led by Sashibwe. Eight points for him. Uh, outside of him. Uh, three points from Alondis Williams, two points from Monty Bates. Uh, Team Jalen, though, very balanced. Six points from Derek Lively off the bench, five from both Jalen Williams, uh, Santa Clara, Jalen Williams, that is, and uh, Jordan Hawkins, four from both Walker Kessler and Benedict Matherin, and then two from, from Chet Holmgren. Credit to Team Jalen, uh, Coach Jalen Rose. Uh, they did a great job, and Benedict Matherin pretty deservedly was named the the MVP uh, of course, winning team, um, but he was their their leading scorer across the two games, and in that first game especially, 18 in the game winner, uh, kind of claimed the MVP in, in that first game alone. So great job there. Again, the best games of the weekend. Then we go to the All-Star Saturday night festivities. Um, that was pretty good all around. Uh, skills challenge, you had low effort from the first overall picks, and... Uh, they didn't even score in any of the three rounds. So I think the, uh, you know, lesson was hopefully learned there. Um, it was team Pacers and team all uh, team all-stars down to the wire. Uh, team Pacers won the first two events and you wondered if it could be a runaway, but then team all-stars won the last event, the th- shooting uh, event to force a tiebreaker uh, of half court shots. Halliburton hits the, uh, Actually, I don't remember. I think it was, I want to say it was Halliburton. It was one of the Pacers hit hit the half-court shot quicker than the All-Stars did. Uh, so the Pacers able to win for the home crowd, similar to what Team Jazz did last year in Utah. So I think that's always fun to get some of that home home court, uh, you know, pro- big performances along with Matherin and the, the Rising Stars game. I think that was good to see. Then three-point contest, probably the best overall event of All-Star Weekend, um, and it's certainly most consistent. Great performances from a ton of guys. Um, I mean, Towns was in there. Um, trying to remember. I know that Malik Beasley fell a little bit short. Uh, Jalen Brunson was not quite as hot. Um, the, li- the winner, of course, was Damian Lillard back-to-back winner for the first time since Jason Capono, which was pretty cool to see. Um, again, great All-Star weekend for him. Um, man, I'm trying to remember everyone else that was... This sounds really bad. I watched the full three-point contest. I'm trying to remember who was in that. It was like 20... 28 points or 25 points um, scored. That was kind of the cutoff. And Towns hit it, and Lillard, of course, hit it. Um, I want to say there was one other name, but um, anyways, Lillard won the three-point contest. Great to see him do that. Then they had the the bonus three-point contest, Steph versus Sabrina. Uh, the broadcast was made very awkward by the back and forth between Reggie Miller and Kenny Smith. Um, some interesting points were made. Um 
I'll leave it at that. But um, Sabrina shot first and came out red hot. Uh, she scored 26 points across the whole um, round. And then Steph Curry came out and uh, the shooting was a little more spread out. He didn't start off quite as hot, but he ended up with a higher total, 29 points. Um, Sabrina shot with the WNBA ball, but shot from NBA range. So a trade-off. I was pretty, uh, I thought it was a very, you know, credit to her to, outside of the normal WNBA range to still be shooting, shooting that, uh, shooting that well, you know, as a credit to her as a shooter. Um, great job to both of them. I, I think they put on a great show and uh, I definitely wouldn't complain if this was a, an additional event um, just at the tail end of the three point contest during all-star weekend. I think that could be fun if you mix up the players. Um, certainly of course the big conversation is well, when Caitlin Clark gets in the WNBA you know, she could do it or she could team up with Sabrina and it could be Steph and another three-point shooter. Um, the problem there is I think Sabrina and Caitlin Clark are going to be the two great three-point shooters in the WNBA. When it comes to the NBA, Steph is so much in a class of his own. The closest would be a Damian Lillard. Um, but even Lillard just gets kind of underplayed and undervalued. Um, he doesn't get the hype that he deserves sometimes as a three point shooter and a deep ball shooter. So um, I think that still would be a big hit if they were to do something like that. Steph and Dame versus Sabrina and Caitlin, uh, that could be a lot of fun. So that's that. And then they had the dunk contest. Mac McClung won. Um, Jalen Brown uh, earned the ire of the Indiana crowd. He had some lackluster dunks. Um, I, I don't think he had bad ideas and I was excited his first dunk he did, he brought out uh, someone who was supposed to look like Dominique in a full uniform and everything, Dominique Wilkins. And he had this person give him like this little, you know, visual like, oh, this is what you do for the dunk. And then Jalen Brown did the dunk and the dunk was scored kind of okay. But I was thinking, you know, I wonder if he would do that for all four of his dunks because that would be a really fun way. It would be like a greatest hits collection with throwback, you know, quote unquote throwback legends like coming back to tell them what to do for dunks you know it's the history of the game it's indiana i think that would be uh, a potential way especially if you really nail the dunks um you have vince carter come out you have jordan or you have like zach levine uh and for that one you could just have actual zach levine walk out but um you know you mix in those dunks i think that would have been fantastic but no he he ditched that after that first one he then went into the, um, I think that was, yeah, Jason Tatum, his teammate, throws up the lob. He catches it for a weak dunk over, like, someone who was kind of crouched or sitting down. Um, just fell, fell flat. His last two dunks were tribute-type dunks. First one was to Terrence Clark, uh, of course, the a highly touted prospect who who passed away, unfortunately, before Um well, ultimately, the, the important thing, he passed away as when he was very young. Uh, there could have been a potential NBA career, but the, the bigger issue was, you know, uh, he, he passed away at a very young age. Um, but it was a, a nice tribute, but the dunk itself wasn't great. But it's like this weird situation where you don't want to rate it low because it's like it was a tribute dunk. So it's almost like a, a catch 22. I don't know. Um, overall, his dunks just weren't that great, but he still got higher votes. And so the fans very much voiced their displeasure. Um, there was of course one point where the led court, and we haven't even talked about that. Um, the led court changed to be the Boston Celtics court. And they were very much against that. They didn't appreciate that effort because no other player got that for his dunks. Um, so he went on to the finals with Mac McClung. McClung had the more consistent and better dunks throughout the whole competition uh, was still the best. The other two guys, Jacob Toppin um, and who was the other one? That's really bad because I can't even think of who it was right now. Um, Yeah, just there was one or two dunks of those other two guys that were okay-ish, but uh, McClung still won it. So he goes back to back uh, as to Dame. 
McClung is maybe going to go for a three-peat next year. We'll see what happens. We'll see if an all-star ever does the dunk contest again, because that's my takeaway. Jalen Brown, I like as a player. Underrated. Slightly overpaid, maybe. I mean, richest contract. But poor performance in the in the dunk contest, man. That was, that was the hope. If he if he had an amazing dunk contest and won it, maybe that sparks all stars returning to the dunk contest. But didn't quite happen. Um, but still, great job, Mac McClung. Quick shout out to Trevlin Queen, uh, who won the G League uh, next up game MVP. They had a similar format to the Rising Stars, uh, like a you know four team tournament bracket thing and uh, target score and all that stuff. Um, it was weird. It looks like they played it in a convention center in Indiana, uh, something to that effect. But um, regardless, uh, good job. Queen has been a, a well-regarded and well-awarded G League player. He's gotten a couple of two-way opportunities in the NBA. It's surprising that he doesn't stick a little bit more because it seems like he has a little bit more of a, you know, a veteran play style and presence. Seems like he could he could play well for an NBA team, but. Um, anyways, that kind of wraps up everything. Um, again, the LED court um, was used for the Celebrity Game and the Rising Stars Game. Uh, not the Rising Stars Game. Celebrity Game and All-Star Saturday Night. Those two things. Not used for the All-Star Game. It wasn't as bright and distracting as I thought it would be. It definitely was that at various points. Um it could be an all-star installation in the future. Um, we'll see if that happens. I'm not entirely against it. I think there was some cool implementation. There was also some things where it's like that looks kind of tacky. Um, and again, it's it was pretty bright, especially some colors really. It just like everyone looked green or blue. Um, so that's something that could be ironed out. But that that was another big takeaway from the weekend. But otherwise, I think we covered most everything. Uh, Lillard. Great weekend, repeating his three-point contest and getting the All-Star MVP for the first time. Mac McClung goes back-to-back. Then he had the Pacers showing up, doing their job. A lot of great legends and discussion surrounding the weekend, as there is with most All-Star weekends. Um, And then, uh, you know, the big takeaway of there's still going to be conversations about changing the all-star game and Adam Silver is not done tinkering with that uh, or other aspects of the NBA, always looking to improve um, talks of maybe getting into youth development, um, developing players outside the U S more efforts to do something like that. Um, So those are a lot of big takeaways and that's really um, without rambling more than I already have. I'll go ahead and wrap it up there. Um, and we'll give you real quick a this day in history fact for you, and we'll cheat a little bit. We'll do two. Um, the first one I just thought was really fun. Um, February 21st, going back to 1952, the Boston Celtics and the Fort Wayne Pistons tipped off at midnight in a Milkman special, quote-unquote, following an Ice Follies performance at Boston Garden. Uh, Bob Cousy kept the 2,368 customers awake with 24 points in an 88-67 win. Um, felt like, well, first of all, keeping them awake was somewhat appropriate with the all-star game, uh, this year, but also, um, midnight for an NBA game, uh, wild stuff. And I'm surprised that 2,300 showed up for a midnight NBA game in 1952. That was more surprising than anything. I would have expected hundreds if that, but, uh, that's just more of a fun one. Uh, the one I really wanted to do. February 21st, going back to 1993, the West defeated the East 135 to 132 in overtime in the 43rd annual NBA All-Star Game in Salt Lake City. Of course, I had to go with this one as a homer um, as Utah's John Stockton with 15 assists and Carl Malone, 28 points, became the first players from the same NBA team to ever share the All-Star Game MVP award. Great moment. I mean, the home in Utah Stockton and Malone teaming up to be all-star MVPs doesn't get much better than that. So have to share that one. But otherwise that's it for all-star recap and all-star special. Again, we're past that point tomorrow. Again, uh, 
be prepared for our bonus franchise focus for the New York Knicks. And then we'll be back on Friday uh, to recap Thursday's games and get ready to get back into the flow uh, of the season. So again, thank you all for listening. We really appreciate it. And we'll be back with you tomorrow uh, as I play the wrong drop there. My bad. Uh, As we'll be back with you tomorrow for our bonus franchise focus for the New York Knicks. 